Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you for listening to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast about the movies that we see at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Cody. I'm Jason. I'm Harry. I'm Aaron, and you can catch our Twitter account at Trilove Podcast on Twitter. Woo! That's Hell the yeah, pod, wow. folks. Well done. Congrats, Happy everybody. birthday, baby birthday boy, to Cody. Happy birthday today. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> no. Thank you for being here, Cody. Thanks. It's the least today, I can we're do. Be, today we're going to be talking about uh, Cody's uh, autobiographical film, A Serious Man, from 2009. Just to be together. Yeah, just to be clear, I'm not Larry Gopnik. Um, I am Cy Abelman. A serious man. He is the serious man. So important. <laughs> Y'all worried about recording this episode, but fellas. You're going to be fine. I am worried about recording this episode. Uh, this is like... Because it's about the Jewish faith? No, uh, this movie's just kind of hard to... I don't know. It's kind of confounding in a lot of ways, right? In the way that, like, Coen Brothers movies often are. We're, tra- we're just for transparency, we're also recording Barton Fink after this. I don't know how the fuck that's going to go. That's just a whole <laughs> No, fucking... these, these might be the two episodes from the Coens that I'm most interested to get into, because I think that I have a pretty okay handle on A Serious Man. But then Barton Fink is one that I've seen, I think, the same number of times, yeah. uh, and just have less of a like solid grip on. I think I can pick things out, but I don't know that I can put them together, sort of thing. So that's I why I'm I talking f- to you about. I it. think I feel uh, maybe the opposite way. Um, <clears throat> classically, I I feel like I have a take on both of them, but uh, I don't know if those are correct. Um, it's interesting that we ended up doing Serious Men and Barton Fink back to back because they're really thematically similar. You in think a lot they share ways. some DNA? Oh yeah, like I, I, there's a like right down to the, the the ultimate sort of like thematic purpose of both movies being sort of parallel in a really interesting way. Um, How so, similar? I, I think they're good companion pieces, but maybe just because they're Coen Brothers movies. Like I see a lot of uh, Man Who Wasn't There and A Serious Man too. Oh yeah, um, for sure. You know, um, I think that that. It's interesting because The Serious Man and Barton Fink are both sort of, um, like, pointed piss takes at something that I think um, Man Who Wasn't There plays straighter, which is the plight of the uh, white man. Yeah. Uh, both uh, both Serious Man and Barton Fink are extremely cynical and uh, um, sort of, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. This always happens to me. Uh, they're... they're Riff on it. Riff on it's okay. it. It's, it's, it's only Cynical. being recorded. Is it? Is it? Um, well, could we, I guess can we hold that? Can we just do like a brief temperature yeah. check on it? Because I, I, I do kind of want to know. Temperature check. He's not going to do it. I'm not going to. Temperature check. How did people feel about this movie? About a serious man? Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. I the first time I saw it was back in I think '09 when it started when it first released. This movie's ten years old now, which is crazy. That's wild. Um, and I liked it quite a bit then, but I had. I think it might have been my first Coen Brothers movie, actually. Really? I don't think wow. that I had seen any prior to that. That's a wild first Big Lebowski? Movie. Yeah, that's a weird I, one. I know I hadn't seen Big Lebowski because once I watched this, 
you know, contemporaneously, I decided, oh, these guys are pretty good. Like, I liked this movie. I'm going to start watching the other stuff. Then I watched True Grit later on and um, uh, No Country and then Big Lebowski, Fargo, etc., etc. So some of their more seminal works I wasn't really up to speed with uh, before watching this. But yeah, I came away with a really good impression of it the first time and then the second time, especially since I spoke to Harry just a little bit about the movie before it started at the Trilon. We saw it at the Trilon. Uh, Shout-outs to the Trilon. Yeah, that's the point. And their new blog. New? No, it's, it's not it's new. Well, it's recently revived. Yeah. Uh, they uh, struck it with the old defibrillators and brought it back to life after a couple of years, it seems. The old defibrillators. The old defibrillators. <laughs> uh, old standby. Um, Cody, then, what did you, what did you, what's your temperature on this film? Uh... I don't know, temperature. I'm not used to talking in temperature, well, so I'm going to tiptoe around thing. I'm just yeah. gonna well, that was kind of tiptoe around the temperature. I'll be lukewarm about the idea of talking about temperature. There we go. Um, One foot in the door. I also saw Serious Man when it came out, um, and it was 2009, so I was in high school and like slowly climbing the roller coaster of like Cohen Brothers mania. Mm-hmm. Just like you're that age and you discover good movies. The Cohen coaster. The Cohen coaster, there we go. Yeah, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> I didn't really know what I was watching when I first saw it, um, and I've seen it a few times since then. I've liked it uh, a lot more. Um, there was some notable hype uh, in my hometown of Rochester, Minnesota, when this movie came out, because, uh, yeah, shout out to Rochester. Uh, shout out to Grey Duck um, Cinema, where uh, I have not been there yet, but I would very much like to go. Sort it's of like a spiritual sibling to the trilogy. Definitely. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. yeah. Um, nope. I call it yep. Goose, but yeah. Look for the new podcast so, coming yeah. soon. <laughs> um, the uh, character of, um, now I'm forgetting her name, uh, Larry Gopnik's daughter. Is it Sarah Gopnik? I've got the cast list. Oh, yeah. Like on the other side out. of the paper. Yep, Sarah Gopnik. Played Jessica by McManus? Jess- Jessica McManus, who uh, is from Rochester. Uh, oh, that's that's right. Yeah. I'm going to cut you off because one of my Do coworkers, it. Logan Lafferty, please come onto the podcast. Logan Lafferty, shout out to Logan. This. Shout out congrats, to Logan uh, on your marriage. Um, yeah, congrats! He on just got married, married in Ireland. Logan. Woo! Yeah. Air and um, what's that term? He always schlancha something. Slante. Slante. Whatever. I don't know how to pronounce Gaelic terms. Uh, He's my, great. Bro- my brother's middle name is a Gaelic term. Tavish means twin. Backing right out of that. Um, Logan is another Rochester native mm-hmm. and says that this girl lived next door to him and that they were oh, always wow. like very private. Uh, quiet people and that he never really got I don't think he ever really got to talk to them about the fact that she's in this movie interesting but and, she has uh, a bigger part in this movie than I Joel Cohen is my dad wait Ethan Cohen is my dad what? I call him daddy but it's it's a different oh right it's a different I, he I, told I, me I guess yeah, I guess yeah. you and you Harry and Cody know why I've brought you both here today to <gasps> talk about this movie in particular so important record scratch dot mp3 Harry, um, what's your? Oh wait, well no, Cody. Oh no, I and, and, and finished, so. yeah. So there, there was some hype around it, and like I was gonna see it anyway, but that was just yeah. kind of like that was more key news in Rochester for like a month. Um, and to date, this is Jessica McManus's only film role. Um, oh wow, she's she really got great. Good, huh? yeah. She's really good in this movie. Yeah, I wish she had more. Yeah, movies. it's not like a uh, really like well fleshed out character, but she's like, hilarious. Really pointedly one dimensional. Correct. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes to absurdity. Um, yeah. But we'll get she's always that. like the yeah. only thing she ever talks about is her hair and going out, right? right. Yeah. Including going to the hole. Yeah, sorry. Huh. Including when her her dad is like destitute and really fallen on hard times, and her, his children couldn't care less. Um, Harry, the question goes to you. I uh, I like this movie a lot. I think the first time I saw it, which was a few years ago, I didn't see it when it came out, unfortunately. But I had heard about it for a long time. 
Um, I think the first time I saw it, I had mixed feelings about it, and I was really confused. Because, <laughs> like yeah. Aaron, you said, yeah. uh, it can be a confounding movie. Yeah. Um, really pointedly <laughs> so, I think it's fun that, that the um, structure and tone of this movie mirrors the... Uh, the frustration that um, Larry feels, especially sure. in the scene where he's talking about the goy's teeth with his uh, rabbi, it's like he he wants answers and he's so frustrated and like you can feel the Coens like grinning at you during that scene and being like, "Ha that's what's happening to you." Well, especially because they have that like history of building up to things and like having thematic connections within their like little uh, yeah. anecdotes and stories, and then this one, like I think particularly that scene has. Literally no purpose, right? And, and it's pretty like textually no like purpose. Yeah, well, I mean, like the frustration mirrors the frustration uh, Larry feels, right? Right, like, right. We're supposed to be subjected to the same sort of um, absurdity that that Larry is going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, I like this movie a lot more the second time I saw it. I think uh, going in knowing what it was and what it was about, and having the image of the amazing um, ending in my head really helped. Uh, um, categorize this movie for me or um, organize it maybe um, there are some like really upsetting uh, racist and homophobic elements of this movie that mm-hmm. I'm really not a fan of uh, especially given the Coens having um, a, a history of uh, troubling representation in both of those very specific aspects. Yeah, um, they hit both buttons in this one. Yeah, uh, and it like really, really um, hampers the movie for me significantly. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to make any excuses for them. Uh, but like, I think that that it's it's something that they were attempting, uh, kind of the same way that they attempt something with Mike Yanagita, and I don't think it works. And I don't hmm. think they have the right to attempt it. Um, but we'll. I guess talk about it. Uh, but that being said, um, I like this movie a lot. Yeah. In spite of that, um, it's weird to say that. I know. I don't know. I don't know how to reconcile that. Um, I like I, the depiction of Judaism is amazing in this movie. Um, the the time and place and, and characterization mm-hmm. is it's just a masterful movie. Uh, I Did guess. we already cover that this movie is set in St. Louis Park, a suburb of Minneapolis? I don't. I don't think that's ever really specified, right? I think in, I think in synopses of I think like in the script it is written that way, but I think maybe it's yeah. only alluded to in like titles of where you work. Yeah, I wonder if something in synagogue mentioned specifically. Like one of the lines on Wikipedia specifically says St. Yeah. Louis Park. I, like I knew it was everybody who like grew up in this area and like you know has connections to the Minnesota like knows somebody who knows somebody who's in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. My. Uh, Here's my cred here. Uh, my German teacher in college is the uh, department head who uh, talks with Larry Gottman. Who comes oh, wow. Oh, shit. The head of the tenure committee? I think committee? I mentioned this to y'all before. That's yeah, incredible. Uh, yeah, wow. the head of the tenure, like the kind of hand-wringing. That's a significant like, role. He yeah, has, like, he multiple speaking yeah. scenes. He's amazing. He's also a great I mean, German teacher. She's also um, amazing. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean... That's great. I didn't mean That's to one of you, but yeah, his name's R- uh, Ari Hoffman. He's a great German teacher. He also did the back when uh, I think Nickelodeon Universe at the Mall of America is it Nickelodeon Universe, Nickelodeon World, uh, Camp Snoopy, always and no. forever. Well, when they were doing the transition to big twenty-seven-year-old Minnesota energy <laughs> yes. away from Camp Snoopy, uh, he was the there was like a an evil scientist who was like on all the billboards, and that was him. He <laughs> oh was my like, god! So yeah, I've like definitely seen his face hundreds of times. He's yeah, basically God. Office. Yeah, no, he's he's a badass. But I I, uh, I saw this movie, like I think everybody here, kind of when it first came out. Um, 
was also confused by it, but that was, again, you know, like the kind of movie you see when you're, like, getting into movies and are like, yeah, the Coen brothers are good. I'm going to watch a lot of Coen brothers movies. <laughs> we're all movies. white dudes is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I, I remember liking it a lot. Uh, it, you know, this was nominated for Best Picture. Like, there was a lot of talk around it, uh, it when it first came out. And, I forgot about that. Um, I think to the reason. date, yeah. this is one of their more confounding, kind of confusing films. Um, I, but I, I won't, like say you're wrong but i feel not completely opposite it, it, it does yeah. have that like cohen obfuscation and like uh trying to douse a lot of their text in themes and you know the things yeah. that they're known for doing but i wouldn't say that it's like one of the more intangible intangible movies maybe you'll come to a new realization of yeah. this movie by the time we're done um yeah i mean i think I, I think i have a pretty good handle on it but it is it's kind of a hard movie to like and appreciate at times even though it is well I felt acted, that way well about directed. Both Barton Fink and a serious man. Not because I didn't understand them, but because I felt like I it's it's tough, right? Like that's the classic thing is that like these are really both dark and cynical movies, and it turns out like it's really hard to to make emotional dark cynical movies, right? Well, and like, they're both very personal to the Coen. Right. Like yeah, uh, people say that a serious man is uh, the Coen Brothers' most autobiographical movie. I think Barton Fink is. It's but we'll it's th- a we'll strong contender. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should we talk about what happens in this movie? I have a small summary that I'm sure doesn't cover everything that we can discuss about like what happens. Do you want to read? I, I have probably. some stuff written too. I'll, I'll read mine. Uh, yeah, then you you'll read yours, then. and Cody and Harry will vote on which one's better. Well, you're. I mean, you had time to. Okay, all right. Okay, I, put, I put this together in forty-five seconds. Okay, his wife leaving him, his family growing apart, his job crumbling beneath him. Middle-aged St. Louis Park mathematics professor Larry Gopnik turns to his Jewish faith first for guidance, then for clues, then for closure. He doesn't find any of them. Strong showing from Jason. Yeah, very poetic. Uh, I'm just going to name some shit that happens in this movie. So, yeah, it's it's set in small-town Minnesota. Main character, Larry Gopnik. He is a physics professor. That's one thing. He said mathematics professor. He's a physics professor, so he's already spitting out He doesn't out even understand the here. mathematics. He yeah. said that. Oh, he does. Yeah, he, he understands no, the mathematics. Yeah, he, he doesn't understand the cat. Oh, he doesn't understand the cat. I'm yeah. sorry. You're right. So he, he doesn't understand wow. the physics of it? The quote is, is he more of a physics oh, professor or a, or a mathematics professor? If well, he doesn't so understand you use math and physics. Hey, have you taken a class recently? I was in class. Wait, what? 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 In Indiana? Um, no, Wait, the quote what? is, uh, even I don't understand the dead cat, the math is how it really works. Uh, yeah, that's thanks. The, I wrote Sorry. that down because it's such a good quote. It but, is a really good quote. Um, so, yeah, his, his life starts falling apart. He really gets dealt a lot of bad hands in a row. Um, his wife has begun seeing a family friend named Cy Abelman, uh, whose wife died three years earlier, and it's very, um, like, he, he's kind of just, like, beaten up by this guy who has entered his life and forced to move to a motel. Um, his the kids, Jolly Roger. Yeah, the Jolly Roger. Good, like, very depressing good. motel. Um, his kids kind of like don't give a shit about him. His daughter is overly concerned with uh, kind of like beauty standards. She spends all of her time washing her hair. Not um, only she's... do they not care about him, they seem to lack the capacity to care about much of anything. <laughs> That's true, and so I think something worth getting into, yes. maybe. Um, but she it's heavily implied that his daughter is saving up for a nose job. Um, his son uh, owes $20 to a bully at school that he bought pot from, and he has the money, uh, but he puts it inside of a Walkman, and the Walkman is taken by the teacher. Um, and his son is basically overly concerned with that instead of any actual uh, uh, problems that are, are befalling his father. Um, and so, essentially, this guy's life just goes to shit, and it basically follows him as one bad thing after the right. other. It's like Comically, a, it keeps piling on. A really shaggy dog story, right? It's like, in the in a classic Coen Brothers sense, like the main character is just this sort of browbeaten everyman who is just 
being pummeled by life over and over and over again. And we sort of follow him and are meant to, to empathize or sympathize with how shitty his life is and how it seems like the whole world is just out to get this one specific mm-hmm. guy. Um, it's based, we should probably say it's based on the book of Job, the, uh, yeah. the Bible story, which is a, um, a Bible story about reconciling with the existence of a God in a world that is evil or that is um, that has limitless capacity for suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea being like, how could a God possibly exist in a world like this? Um, this movie is really interested in that question. <laughs> yeah, it's interested in kind of a, an interesting way. That's a terrible fucking sentence, isn't it? It's interested in an interesting way. Um, the book of Job is, is uh, you know, Job is God throws these challenges at Job, right? Where in this movie, um, it's kind of up, it's kind of up in the air. Like, is God is someone maliciously doing this to Larry Gopnik, or is Larry Gopnik Larry Gopnik's life just kind of in the shitter, right? And like, it kind of doesn't matter. There are a lot of readings you could make of Larry yeah. Gopnik's life. Um, I think that this movie is uh, the word I was looking for is critical, which is an ironic word for me to forget hmm. back way back when. But I think this movie is very critical of Larry Gopnik, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it it's critical in an interesting way, right? In that we are he is still the POV character, and so in a uh, a really intimate sense, he is us in in a sense. Hmm. You know what I mean? Just in the sense that like like we're not meant to necessarily critique him so much as sympathize with him. Mm-hmm. Like he's definitely a sympathetic character in this, and he's definitely the character I think we're most meant to empathize with. Every other character in this movie is sort of like. Uh, an instrument to torture him, mm-hmm. right? They're like all very his, flat. His wife, his uh, um, children, his students, his neighbor, his neighbor, Cy like, Abelman, <laughs> right? Th- these are all like less people and more like projections of like his like tormentors. <laughs> <laughs> They're all reflections of his own flaws. Yes, right? I, is... I, it's like a solipsistic movie. Yeah, it's kind of for the sure. reading I'm coming at it with. But yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that works. I mean, I, you know. There was a comment earlier about how maybe his daughter isn't as fleshed out of a character, and I think that's true of a lot of the uh, various characters in this movie. Um, but I think that works to the point that the film is making, um, which does feel maybe a little relentless. Like, this this movie does not give this dude a break um, for even one second. Um, and he didn't do anything! Yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's the line um, yes. that he keeps saying over and over again. That comes up. I think it's yeah. the, the line of the movie, right? Because yeah. Yeah. that's the point, you fucking idiot. You didn't do anything, right? Like Shit just happened to you. He didn't do anything well, to earn but, but, uh, it, but he didn't do anything to prevent it exactly. either. I, if your wife wants to leave you that bad, there's a reason. Yeah. Like, even if you didn't do anything, quote-unquote, yeah. quote, like, maybe you should think about somebody else for once in your fucking life. And he's dude. just so tone-deaf, like, using that <clears throat> as an excuse for, like, his confusion, for his frustration with God and with people around him. And instead, like, it, it like he's damning himself by saying it, right? I didn't do anything to make these things not happen. I did nothing to earn them. But in doing st- nothing to like prevent them, you're earning them, right? He, he's not paying attention to anything. Exactly. He's not paying attention to his kids. He's not paying attention to his wife. He's not really paying attention to his job. Um, he he just sort of drifts through life thinking about how life is so hard on him. And it makes specifically you... he he dwells right. in in wallows in his misery. We're um, wondering, like, it left me wondering. Uh, I don't know exactly how old this character is supposed to be, but I'm assuming late 30s, early 40s, at least. Uh, and he has two children. He has a wife. He's like well recognized in his neighborhood. He's got he's up for tenure potentially. It makes you wonder how he got to this stage in his life. 
like how he got where he is, if this is how he's lived his entire life, or what changed before the events of the movie that turned him into this person who like didn't do anything. It's, I it's, guess it's such a once in a lifetime the Talking Heads song of a movie, <laughs> and you may <laughs> really? ask yourself, how did I get here? Uh, <laughs> my God, what have I yeah, done? This is not my beautiful life. Uh, please, yeah, sir, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Uh, I guess it's not really tangible or like part of the movie, but it. I guess it's telling that the way that, that things happen to this character and the way that he responds to them or doesn't does make me think about, like, the character more deeply himself. Like, who was he before he got married? Who was he before he had children? Has he always been like this? Like you said, there's some reason his wife is wanting to leave him for Cy Abelman, this, like, languid, uh, sort of very, like, intrusive character played by Fred Melamed, who really deserves all the credit uh, in the world for this. Everybody fucking kills it. I don't think that there is a more... Um, likable leading man than Michael Stuhlberg. I'll just, like, plant my, my flag in that. I fucking love that dude. Man, like, what a great act. Yeah. He, the year of Michael Stuhlberg was 2017 when he was in Shape of Water and uh, Call Me By Your Name. Oh, my God. Uh, but there should be more Michael Stuhlberg in movies because he rules. He deserves to be a leading man more. Like, this is this is the role he's known for, right? Like This, this is, is his one, one of the best leading. performances. I mean, yeah. it is such a fully realized character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, makes- and and like such an important like like imagine this movie without a performance of this caliber right like it wouldn't work at all no because, because the he whole bears, he bears fulcrum, a lot of, yeah. right of this movie is the idea that Larry Gopnik is like fundamentally not a character we necessarily should sympathize with but the obfuscation is that he makes Michael Stuhlberg makes you feel like you are Larry Gopnik to mm-hmm. such a like grand extent that you feel his suffering even though like the the trick is that like this suffering is something that that like if not earned, then is something that he didn't do anything. About, right, he's right? not he's not dealing with it. Right? Yeah. Uh, to shout out the year of Stuhlbarg a little bit more, 2017. In addition to Call Me by Your Name and The Shape of Water, he was also in The Post, which, uh, and he was also in the TV show Fargo. Also, I called him Stuhlbarg a bunch, and I apologize. So, for is that. he it's in Barg. three Best Picture nominated movies and one Best yep. Picture winner at that time? Yes, that's not a bad track record yeah. for one year. Yeah, makes Jeez. me wonder Michael why we Stuhlbarg, haven't seen him. The secret sauce for Academy Award Fucking, nominations. Yeah, makes me wonder why he hasn't uh, been like given more. I of this think Five Thirty Eight actually did a study on that. I would have to remember the article, but they have like a series, like they. Uh, yeah, like they pull together a bunch of performers who like were are thrown in like not like the second and third tier performances in like these they're who's like the, the secret sauce. There's basically. that one who's always referenced in all the Scorsese movies, uh who was in like wasn't he in like The Godfather and Goodfellas and oh, the oh, oh, uh, uh John Cazal, who like yeah. every acting role he's had has been in a Best Picture nominee. Yeah. Dude's a legend. Yeah. Wow. I think uh, he's dead just now, a, isn't it's, he? that study is just a bunch wrong. of math on a chalkboard and then a picture of Michael Stuhlbarg's sad head inside of a box. <laughs> um, my uh, man, what I took away from that first chalkboard writing scene is uh, Michael Stuhlbarg's chalkboard writing booty. You see that squat he has, man. Oh, dude, he is fucking <laughs> packing some shit. Yeah, I saw that too. And that I is like, dad damn. booty. Holy he's, shit! Yeah, yeah. Michael Stuhlbarg thick. He's he's just he has tra- a hatchback. <laughs> he's just trying to get tenure, but he's dummy thick. <laughs> <laughs> and clapping of ass ass. Keep distracting the, the goins. <laughs> Keep distracting angry letters from Cy yeah. Abelman. From Cy Abelman. Yeah. Really uh, makes me wonder what uh, Judith <laughs> stops seeing in him. Judith Gobnik, who uh, is the one person we haven't really shouted out yet. And um, sorry, Lennox, I feel like deserves 
a lot of recognition, kind of on the same tier yes. as Fred Melamed. Wow, she is so yeah. incredible. It is funny how she how they paired. Uh, this is um, Larry's wife and her new paramour. Uh, it's funny how they paired those two characters and made them very similar in like delivery and um, and sort of their disposition in the way that they like constantly cut Larry off and don't really let him ask any questions or like I guess defend himself. I just think it's very like our first introduction to the uh, to the character of his wife is just sort of I won't say bossy. That's pretty gendered assumption of me to say, but like just a very. I mean, that's the impression we're meant to come away with, right? Yeah. Which is, like, kind of a problem for this movie, is that, like, we are definitely meant to see his wife as, like, a shrew, for, for, to use the most, like, cliched it's, term possible. It's but slightly it's, like, softened by Fred Malament's character also being that way, and it's, yeah, like, it's not because she's a woman, say, it's because right? she's, like, just, this is, like, her personality, and she's attracted to people who are like that, I that's, guess. That's yeah. a really good point about how similar they are, though, because it really also underscores the fact that they've been spending every waking moment together, <laughs> which is, like, which is, like, this, this controversy that unfolds is that he's just like Cy Abelman, but she's been with him like all the time to the point where they like act like each other and talk like each other and like they have this wonderful relationship with one another that he didn't know anything about. <laughs> right. It does come back to the I think Harry, you brought it up of just like we we enter the movie at this point and it's like how did they how did Larry, how did everybody exist in this capacity for so long mm-hmm. with like the relationship between Larry and Judith Gopnik being so lopsided um and not probably what a holy union should be um just like larry's never published anything why the fuck would they give him tenure i wouldn't i would because he's michael stuhlbard brutal yeah he's michael stuhlberg i just gave a a harrowing movie is a little maybe i'm getting into the shit i think the movie is a little more sympathetic towards him maybe than we would be willing to get i feel like the 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 consensus around this movie is it's about a guy who like doesn't do anything and he's a wimp and he gets beat up on and he deserves it because he doesn't take action and I, I think it's a little more That's sympathetic than that not um, what we said at all but okay I, I said that is the discussion around like that is the thing that is often said about this movie is like if only he would act a little more if only he would take it's his a own Hamlet future <laughs> sure I, I mean I guess it's bullshit about Hamlet but it's all yeah okay um, I, I think this movie's a little sympathetic like I think his story is kind of sad um, for sure I mean like that's the whole thing right is that like we it is meant to be symp- sympathetic like we really are supposed to identify with Michael Stuhlbarg's character yeah Larry. it's the, it's yeah it's something where uh, we spend the f- whole first act act uh, hearing Larry Gopnik say you know, I didn't do anything and then when he finally starts to do something I'm using mild air quotes um, but he, he tries to seek out answers and then he finds uh, conflicting counsel or just like a lack a lack of counsel altogether which uh, was like my big takeaway from this: the overabundance or just lack of, um, like lack of answers. Sometimes the questions are more important than the answers. And just like the fact that you're thinking about it is enough. Like the fact that you're thinking about the goy's teeth is maybe more important than what they mean. Well, in, in uh, this is a, a through line that I really love in all Coen Brothers movies. Um, I think we might have talked about it a little bit before, but uh, except the mystery is like a, a recurring phrase in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think, in, at least in my opinion, um, the the questions aren't really questions without answers, and the mysteries aren't really mysteries. And I, I think that that a recurring motif in Coen Brothers movies is that these people accept the mystery, so to speak, because they want to believe that there aren't answers because the actual answers are painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we avoid 
asking these questions really because the answers are evident and are uh, frightening, right? Like, like Larry wants to know why he's suffering. He wants to know. He, he asks his, his rabbis, uh, all three of them, uh, ascending um, levels of uh, prestige, um, and that's sort of the one of the main through lines of the movie about like what God is trying to tell him, like what what uh, answers he's supposed to take away from these trials that he's experiencing. And it's like, Larry, you know, like you you know what the answers are, right? Like like he, he's not really looking for answers. He's looking for some sort of uh, affirmation or alleviation of responsibility. Um, and uh, that that's something that, that really strikes me about all of the Coen Brothers movies is that like like these these people they they have so much um, interest in asking these these questions and, and about the idea that this is an unknowable thing. When in reality like Larry, like you're suffering because you're not paying attention to your life yeah, and you're not you're coasting through well and you're self-obsessed right is is like it's like we were talking about with fargo it's like it's it's because you're you're struggling with uh, self-obsession and if you just found someone to love somebody to love don't you wish you had somebody to love etc uh that would be the way out right like is is actually paying attention to somebody else besides yourself um and I, like, I think the reason why this works for me so well is because it's so self-effacing. Um, I think the Coen brothers are really self-critical in all of their works. Um, we talked about it a little bit in Fargo. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for me in Fargo quite as well as it works for me in A Serious Man and Barton Fink, because Barton Fink and A Serious Man seem even more self-effacing. They seem even more like, like really laser-targeted at problems the Coen brothers have mm-hmm. of self-absorption and solipsism and uh self-victimization self-victimization exactly yeah um and it seems like they're they're like it's it's like they're they're writing their problems to try to sort of master them in an Mm -hmm. interesting way um i don't like i don't know the coen brothers i don't know if that's true it could all be bullshit that's how it appears to me a lot of their most personal films i think like aside from people who actually know them you know them about about as well as they want to be known right yeah well, and, you know, like, maybe that's why these, these movies work so well for particular uh, white men is because, like, self-obsession and self-victimization and entitlement are something that, that white dudes historically struggle with mm-hmm. uh, for worse or worse. Um, I like that dichotomy. So, <laughs> um, to go back to the phrase, except the mystery, um, real quick, the I think the only time that is spoken explicitly, to be fair, comes from... Um, the character of Clive's father. Um, and Should we the, set up Clive? We haven't really. Yeah, we can about do him. that. So Clive is a student of um, Larry's, uh, or Professor Gopnik, excuse me. Um, and he, uh, he he's failing the class. Um, he like failed the midterm. He's not in good shape. And um, Clive, uh, I'm not going to retell the whole conversation because that's I don't know. But it, it concludes with. Um, like Larry finding an envelope full of money on his desk and we don't see Clive leave it there, but it's like very, it's like the, it's the most unambiguous mystery of the movie. Just like Clive slash Clive's family is trying to pay off Larry in order right. to give him and a passing it's grade. It's like a motif parallel, right? But right. like, like the idea is, except the mystery is the idea that like, oh, maybe Clive wasn't trying to bribe you at all. Maybe it's right. a culture mm-hmm. clash. And it's like, everybody knows that Clive was trying to bribe you. Right. You know? Yeah. It's like, except the mystery being, don't be fooled into accepting the mystery. 
Everyone knows that the cat is dead because you can smell it through the box. Whoa. Bumper sticker coming soon to the trial yeah, shop. Okay. Uh, what do you think about that, Aaron? Uh, I think that scene is good. That scene is the one where um, it's it's after uh, he has been explaining uh, was it Schrodinger's dilemma, Schrodinger's paradox, I guess. Schrodinger's cat, um, literally yeah. Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's cat. cat. Yeah, Schrodinger's to dragon. His, to his uh, students, and um, it, it's kind of that that idea is is clearly like um, compared to a lot of the situations in the film, specifically the one of like. You know, did the student leave this money? Well, like, yeah, he did. But like, uh, a lot of the the tension there is once he talks to his father later in the film. The father's like, "Well, we're going to to sue you for for accepting money," uh, and then he says, "Well, wait, doesn't that mean that your son gave you the money?" And he's like, "No, no, we're not going to say that. That's defamation." And it's like this big like, he can't win, right? He, like, he can't win either way, and he should just not be concerned so much with, like, the facts of, like, what happened and what didn't happen and just deal with the situation which at is, hand. Which that you can't win anyway is also, like, one of the big uh, through lines in this movie, right? Because, like, the first scene with the Dybbuk is, I, is I another talk instance that. of that. I was literally writing Schrodinger's Dybbuk nice. on my... <laughs> um, but but it's, it's kind of like uh, the man who wasn't there is uncertainty principle, right? It's like the Schrodinger's cat is sort of this movie's version of that. Is like like, the idea that... Um, like, Michael Stuhlbarg's character, Larry, he writes out the theorem proving out Schrodinger's cat on the chalkboard in one of his dreams. And there's Cy Abelman in the, in the stands, in the seats, and he's going, is this, uh, what is the word he uses? This it's is convincing. Convincing. Yeah. And he says, of course it's convincing, it's math. And he says, well, are you convinced? And <laughs> yeah. no is the answer, <laughs> obviously. And the, so, so Larry is someone who, who gets the math of the, Schrodinger's cat, right? Like, he understands, like, the physics behind it, but he doesn't understand, like, the real meaning behind it. And it's very clearly contrasted with a number of characters in the film who maybe don't get the math, but, like, get the bigger picture, right? Um, like, his student who attempts to bribe him gets the bigger picture. He says, I understand the cat, I just didn't get the math. And, and obviously, because he puts it into practice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Larry goes, well, hey, look, I don't even understand what the cat means, but I get the math, right? And Cy Abelman. Cy Abelman knows what the cat means, right? He doesn't know the math. Of course he is. He's a serious man. But he gets it. Always know? tried to be. Yeah. Um, that's is, what I was going to say. Yeah. Sorry. No. Yeah, uh, you go. I guess now is as good a time as any to talk about um, Arthur Gopnik. Uh, sure. Larry's brother, played by Richard Kind, who is um, he's living with the Gopnik family. Well, in between jobs, I guess. Uh, not really yes. in between. He's kind not of. really in between jobs, right? Completely he's unemployed and obsessing over a notebook that he's been writing. Um, that has what is the name of the notebook? The Mentaculus. The Mentaculus. Thank you. Which is supposed to be like a, a complete mapping out of probabilities that allows it's, him to cheat at cards. I think he calls it a probability map of the universe. Of the <laughs> universe. That's it. Uh, and he is eventually arrested Be for. Out in a minute. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Pretty good. That's My voice cracked at a really inopportune time. No, it, was it, was a, it was an appropriate time. It was a yeah, great okay. Richard Kind. Um, uh, we should that? shout out Richard Kind. Uh, He's this, very good. It's very good. This is a heartbreaking performance. Yeah. Um, I really like it and... Uh, think it's extremely sad it's he's used to come as i watched the movie he was used to contrast against larry who is having a lot of trouble with the uncertainties of life and of with accepting the mystery where richard, not richard arthur the character not the human uh <laughs> instead decides to literally map it out and have a roadmap for 
understanding all options and all pathways of, of, of probability in the universe. And it looks like some crazy shit. Like it, it is. It, it's like you kind of like the shining, the, the yeah, typewriter like, in the shining. I think Hebrew it's, scribblings it's pretty and, highly implied that like he is mentally disturbed, yeah. right? Uh, that might not be the most... Although supposedly it works, too. Um, <laughs> it apparently does work. <laughs> yeah, he's, been, work. He's, he he's arrested for defrauding, yeah, for defrauding uh, the local uh, casino by actually, like, making bank with this. Yeah. Um, but did you, do you all feel about, like, about Arthur that same way that he's used as a direct contrast, or is he, like, in, in some respects reflecting Larry? Definitely. Um, and, like, the... It's a beautiful illustration of his character that leads us to one of my favorite scenes of the movie, the oh, scene really of uh, Larry and Arthur by the pool. And it's, you know, like we're, we're watching Larry scramble around trying to find answers, trying to find some sense of perspective or like a means of introspection. And he gets maybe the most valuable one through his brother who just like lays it all out there. It's like, man, you've got a job, you've got like a family, um, like a fractured family, but still like very much if, like he's got kids that he loves, I think. Um, and Arthur's just like, look at me. Like I, the only thing I had in this world was playing cards and I can't even do that. God anymore. hasn't given me shit. Right. Yeah, God, yes. Again. Yeah. Which um, is true. He, yeah. He has a, he has a cyst that he has to drain. Um, oh, it's Bert. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's full of pus. Pus is a, a recurring motif in this and Burton Fink. Uh, Several scenes I think start with like a view of the pneumatic machine that he has to keep next to his bed. It's very it's loud. Just draining this. Yeah. So when he and uh, Arthur, or he and Larry are living together, you can hear it all through the night. Uh, and Arthur's snoring when it's not happening, so Larry doesn't get much sleep. Um, that's a really good scene because it's it's also um, emblematic, I think, of like the the larger theme that like nobody is listening to each other's problems; they're all wallowing in their own. Like when when Arthur is is laying out how Larry's life is better than his, it's it's only in order to uh, contrast with how bad his life is. He's not paying any attention to um, Larry's problems. Larry never pays any attention to Arthur's problems at mm -hmm. all. I think that, that Arthur um, largely operates as an illustration of Larry's failures. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene where um, he gives... Uh, it's, it's a dream sequence. There are a lot of dream sequences, particularly toward the end, where Larry gives the money, the bribery money, um, to Arthur to help him escape to Canada um, when he is uh, um, wanted. Um, and uh, it, before it, it becomes horrifying because fucking Nazis <laughs> show up and, and shoot Arthur um, at the end of the dream... They have a really nice scene, right? Where like he he hugs Arthur, and uh, they tell each other that they love each other, um, basically. And uh, Larry does right by his brother, basically. And it it's so heartbreaking to me because it's like, why aren't you doing that in yeah. real life? You yeah. like like why isn't that just what's happening? And like mm. that's that's the that's the heartbreaking notion of that dream, right? Is that like you know what the answer is, Larry? Like you, you know what the answer to all of your questions are. But it, he didn't do anything. It's yeah, but he didn't do anything. Uh, and and like it, it's, it, I would love to see this movie remade from the perspective of any of the other characters because I think we would see a version of Larry that is just as callous and one-dimensional as all of the other characters oh, appear yeah. to be in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, um, because he is in the end. Like it just so happens that we're following him and so we see his his in interiority in a way that we don't see any of these other characters. Mm -hmm. But like his 
his uh, his pain comes so much from the fact that it seems like everyone around him is so calloused and so uncaring. One of my favorite parts is is the part where uh, Larry doesn't even live at his own house anymore. He lives at the Jolly Roger. And what his, a what a perfect depressing like motel you get kicked out of your house. The Jolly to to. Roger. Yeah, <laughs> they have a pool. You know? uh, it's quite yeah, livable. quite livable. <laughs> um, and his his son calls him on the phone. Uh, to tell him that they're not getting a camp, and he has to come adjust the fucking satellite. And, I, and like at that point, he's just like, "God damn!" Like his wife is his. Your mom has kicked your dad out of the house, and you're asking him to come adjust your fucking satellite. It's brutal. Um, but the reason why it appears like we can only see Larry's suffering because Larry can only see Larry's suffering. That's what I mean when I say that this is a solipsistic movie, is that, like, we're so wrapped up in Larry's interiority and Larry's perception of reality that we can't see that by any other metric he is just as calloused as all of these other characters. He doesn't care about his kids or his wife. Like, he doesn't think about them at mm-hmm. all. He thinks about only his problems, and that's why he has his problems. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Nazis. Uh, really briefly, just to clarify, those are the Gopniks' neighbors. Um, in one of my favorite bits... Uh, oh, this is such a good bit. Uh, well, I mean, they have a, there are a couple good bits. Um, the father Nazi um, goes... Uh, well, because Larry asks... They're coming back from a hunting trip. <laughs> First off, he asks them uh, with a dead deer on the roof of their car. It's like, oh, have you been hunting? <laughs> Nimrod. Uh, he just the, doesn't answer, right? Yeah, yeah. Father Nazi goes took him out of school so he could hunt with his dad, which is the biggest Minnesota mood I think I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, some Minnesota shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like that or like premiere of like a Star Wars movie. Like those are the things that people got out of school for when I was younger. It's like going hunting, going to the cabin, or like new Star Wars or Lord of the Rings movie. Going to that the was cabin and being white surprised. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, we should say that that the uh, the neighbors are also uh, slowly expanding their house to colonize uh, the Gothic's yard. house. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're going over the property line slowly and slowly, and he keeps saying the poplar is the property line, which is absurd because that poplar is like halfway into like <laughs> their like backyard. Yeah. Uh, th- my I thought the the bit that I thought you were going to say um, was that when Larry goes to visit his neighbor on the other side, which is this. Um, this like independent, uh, very sexual uh, woman that he's uh, obsessed with and sort of peers at uh, Mrs. Samsky. Mrs. Samsky, thank you. Um, he goes, uh, my my neighbors on the other side aren't nearly as friendly. And she goes, they're goys, aren't they? And he says, very much so. <laughs> uh, man, what a fucking great brutal line that is. Uh, let's talk about Vivian Samsky. Uh, this is a very character-driven movie, clearly. What role does she play to the overall arc of the story? Like, Because uh, the setup is that Larry sees her sunbathing topless while he's fixing the antenna for his son to watch TV. And then later he uh, invites himself over to her house, and they end up smoking pot together. Uh, does that like lead him to any realizations about it? Does that like advance his character, or is it just like a side trip for him? I think it's like a another... Kind of like the, the dream that he has where he and Arthur kind of, or he lets Arthur escape to the Canadian wilderness. Um, I think it stands for, like, something that he, he probably, like, she's clearly somewhat interested in him, right? Um, if only because she appears to be bored otherwise. Yeah. She, I, is it ever clear that she has a husband? Or she does. Yeah, he, okay. travels. Travels. 
he travels. travels, she says. Um, and it's kind of like a perfect... Like, he, he looks at her from his roof like she is seen as this kind of unattainable object that he is... He is kind of she is seen as an object, very specifically. Very specifically, um, and he is kind of trapped in this suburban life, and she is seen as this kind of unobtainable, uh, yeah, again, object. Um, and and then he meets her, and he kind of knows that, like, man, I'm not really with my wife. I probably should like make something work with this lady, but he like can't do it. And you kind of like, dude, just like hit on this lady. Like, what are you doing? You're like smoking pot. Well, also like out. she's just like it seems like she's just a cool, chill person. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and she has iced tea and smokes weed all day. Who he sees her as mm-hmm. he sees her as a sex object, uh, which makes him uh, the sort of impotent, literally person that he is. Is the fact that he just can't see her as a human being. Uh, consequently, we can't see her as a human being in the movie, or the movie doesn't frame her as such because, again, we are living inside of Larry's head in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, but, but yeah, I think that that's a good reading. It's like it's like, man, just talk to this woman and fucking smoke. Some weed, it's smoke like some weed. Chill, yeah. <laughs> but and, and they do, but it's it's he is so awkward the entire time. It is, yeah. Um, he's he doesn't handle it super. He doesn't handle the high super well. He no. just sort of like babbles for a while, and then he's like they're jarred out of it because his brother's been arrested. Yeah. In was it in North Dakota? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, North Dakota. For, it's, it's the North Dakota. Oh it's yeah, that's right. It's that's a new right. bar where he was propositioning someone for. Oh, again, like yeah, the, the Minnesota moods of this movie. The yeah. North Dakota, a bar that's not in the North Dakota. Really good. Uh, um, the I like that reading of just like Mrs. Samsky's presence. Um, I I bristle slightly just at the thought that she is unattainable only because like suburbia seems to be the element in which. Larry Gopnik thrives the most. Um, he like he is the master of the antenna. Um, the first scene we get of him up on the roof. Um, Arthur has a shot like this later in the movie where it's like the camera is we're, we're looking up at them and like they're just it's them against this really open sky. Like they are like the the leaders of the free world. Like Larry Gopnik up against the he's on the roof, hands on his hips. I mean it's the cover of the Blu-ray. Yeah, it's the poster. Um, yeah, like he and it's from that position that he can like look in on the Samsky situation. Uh, and I, I feel like if anything, it was maybe foreshadowed that they were eventually going to connect um, just because of how certain things were, were framed. I don't know. Yeah. I really like that poster. I really like that, that reading. Um, another one of my favorite Cohen motifs that I keep babbling about is the, uh, the notion of like, this is like how things really are, quote unquote, uh, which Barton Fink is all about taking Bizdick on, but we'll get there. <laughs> Sorry, I keep bringing that up. Uh, but I think this movie works into that framework too of like uh, not only about suburbia, but about religion more broadly. Is that like there is the, the sort of unpacked or um, unexamined notion of um, the way that, that suburban life in, in a suburban family works? And then we're like looking into what, what this is really all about. Uh, and that connects to religion in a really good way in this movie. Um, obviously, this is a movie largely about religion. Um, I'm not Jewish, uh, so it's it's tough to talk about, um, right? Especially because this is a movie that ostensibly feels critical of Judaism. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think it's, it's less critical of specific Judaism than it is sort of um, frustrated with, with how... Uh, religion maybe doesn't equip people for answers the way they want. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least it doesn't anymore. Um, 
It maybe it used to. I Interesting. Guess. You it's, think the movie does that? Yeah, well, it's like a specific generational thing. Like, I think if you look at Larry's kids, um, they are arguably even more rudderless than Larry is, right? Like, they are not religious. Um, his daughter says that she doesn't have time to go to Jewish school. Um, his son... It's high smoked, during his bar mitzvah. Yeah, Which, during man, his bar mitzvah. no thank you. Holy shit, One of the most tense scenes <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life the, was just <laughs> watching that. Um, it, his kids are, like, purposefully not religious, right? And where at least Larry is able to search for the answers or at least kind of bug people into, to, you know, feeding him some bullshit, his kids kind of don't even have that, right? Like, they are... They also don't seem to struggle completely. with the answers, though, in the way that he does. Like, I don't I know mean, that kids, those are right? filled kids, but yeah. Uh, one, uh, I really like that this point's getting brung up, and it's probably not significant, but when um, Danny's radio gets confiscated, there's this really stark contrast between, I don't know if it was like the principal who was like figuring it out, and Danny's just sitting across the table the whole time. Yeah, and then you just like put it, and he's like, eh, mm-hmm. shut up. I'm gonna work through this. It's. I think it's this movie scene. set in like 1967. So like, yeah, yeah, the idea of like headphones into yeah. like a Walkman right. does seem a little like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck is this thing. Well, especially yeah. for an old man. Yeah, mm-hmm. very right. old man. Right, who's well, refusing to receive like <laughs> advice from the kid who owns the and thing? And it's it's funny know. to think that it then ends up like specifically uh, that transistor ends up getting passed to. It's not Marshak. Grashka, is it? Is it Marshak? It's Marshak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Marshak. Marshak's Marshak, journal. The incredibly ancient rabbi who is just always in the back room. When he's not meeting with people, he's thinking, and that's taking his time, and he can't. The like, rabbi is thinking. He's thinking. He's thinking. Um, <laughs> but it somehow gets passed to him, and he evidently has listened to it because that like climactic scene. He's is a where, Jefferson Airplane fan. <laughs> <laughs> like who he, isn't? He, he gears up like he's going to say something very poetic and insightful, and then he just starts reciting somebody to love. Yeah, that oh is his God. insight, though. That like, is deep, and the insight of the movie, right? It's, right. Like it, it's oh. amazing because, like, what he's doing there, and this is the the thing that that Marshak doesn't do anything except for congratulate the bar mitzvah boy, is what they say. <laughs> um, which, like, as a Catholic or former Catholic, that freaked the shit out of me. But it turned out that he actually does congratulate the the rabbi boy. Um, oh and, Jesus! Uh, you didn't think that? I thought that immediately. I again, oh, maybe man. it's my oh, former Catholicism speaking. Um, uh, the post point. Uh, I honestly thought that that was the joke of that part. But again, maybe I'm. Shout out dark. to Spotlight. Uh, Shout out to Spotlight. Yeah. Did I say the post? I think I said the post a minute ago. And I was uh, meaning to say Spotlight. <laughs> Um, anyway, but but Marshak he recites the names of Jefferson Airplane. He hands him the Walkman back. Grace Slick. And then he says, be a good boy. And it's like, that's the only time in this fucking movie that anyone has connected with anybody else. Is yeah. that Marshak is trying to relate to Larry's son on Larry's son's uh, terms. It's the only time it happens, right? And so like, there's this idea that, like, oh, Marshak is a wise man because he actually understands that you have to relate to people on their terms mm-hmm. like you have to actually love people and understand them or attempt to instead of looking for answers in your own head forever well and um, it's, it's great like what uh, uh aaron that guy over there was saying about uh, generational ooh. generational interpretations of like the situation because that scene is like the single probably the single oldest person in this entire cast he looks like easily 85 alan years mendel. alan mendel yeah. Yeah, uh, I can find out how old he is actually, but anyway, he's he's very old, very clearly very old, or at least hopefully totally he's still such. with us. I'm not going to 
comment on that. Came, movie came um, out in 2009. I'm not going to comment on that. I'm looking at And maybe one of the, at least the youngest, like, character with lines, uh, Larry's son. And it really throws into perspective what Harry was saying about, like, how long it probably took the rabbi to learn these things. Marshak, are we going to make me feel sad and say that he's dead? No, he's currently 91. Okay, so fuck, he was 81 during yeah. this role. Anyway, um, and it gets me thinking about the first rabbi, or... Yeah, the first rabbi that uh, that Larry goes to meet, who is like the actual rabbi can't meet, like he's busy, so he has to go to uh, Rabbi Scott Ginsler, who is played by Simon uh, Helberg. Well, Big Bang Theory star. Big Bang Theory yeah, guy. Uh, he's he is. He's like very coded as a young, like he's wearing the short sleeves and the tie. He just looks very youthful. I, I think I guess. all the actors on Big Bang are actually like legitimately pretty good actors outside of that I mean, show, which is dog shit. Obviously, but uh, uh, I one quick thing is that uh, really good um, little in joke in Wikipedia that uh, all of the rabbis are named here, but uh, this is Wikipedia only names the first name of which is maybe the movie's joke, but like like there's Rabbi Marshak, Rabbi Nachner, mm-hmm. and then. Rabbi Scott Andrew. <laughs> I, like, I love Scott. Rabbi Scott. Rabbi Scott. It's like such a youth pastor energy <laughs> happening there. And it really comes through in that first meeting with uh, with Larry because he, like, he seems the most like uh, faith driven and like uh, traditionally like given to the faith to the Jewish faith character in the entire movie. He like, is, he sees, he's like a camp counselor. He literally yeah. sees God out in the parking lot, and he keeps referring to God. This whole, like, he goes on, and every single time, that Larry's like, but, yeah, but what if I don't, like, this isn't a course of action for me. This doesn't help me with what I'm thinking or how, what I'm feeling. And he's just like, but that parking lot, Larry. And he just turns around in his <laughs> spinning chair, and then, the, and, like, his office is all cramped. It's just a very, like, good scene. And, again, like, that I think that um, the order in which he meets with rabbis, yeah. the, the, the mm-hmm. very young one, the middle-aged one who probably knows that what he's saying is not helpful and yet is just given to it because right. he's should been supported we, in giving it Can we talk about that years. scene? I love yeah, that scene. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. We referenced so, it earlier. So, so the, um, the next rabbi that he meets is Rabbi, Nocter. is it Rabbi Nocter. 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 It is Nocter. Played by, by George Weiner. Uh, do you want to talk about it, Aaron? Sure. Uh, so he goes and visits him after kind of believing that his last visit with Rabbi Scott Gensler was kind of useless. <laughs> and so he goes, okay, I'm going to visit Scott. with Rabbi Nochner. Uh Rabbi Marshak, who is, of course, the smartest, oldest of all the rabbis, is, just does not see people. Uh, he's just busy all the time. Well, he has the bar mitzvah boy. Yes, yes he, he is seen as this, like, he's the actual yeah. yeah. who has the answers if only you could speak to him. Yeah. Um, and so he gives, goes and visits uh, Rabbi Nochner, uh, who tells him a story about a uh, a dentist, like this very long parable. A Jewish dentist. Very um, a Jewish dentist who uh, one day, when, when taking molds of a person's teeth, finds that there are letters inscribed in the back of the teeth. Um, and he views this as like a message from God, and so he talks to the the. The patient and well, and, doesn't and find anything specifically there. their Hebrew letters that yeah. say um, "Help, help me. me, God, yeah. help me." Yeah, and they're on the inside of a of a. They're on the back of his teeth of a Gentile's teeth. Yes, a goy's teeth. I know. Yes, a goy is a Hebrew term that I don't know if I'm allowed to use. That's fair. Gen- uh, yeah, but, this, but the story is the goy's teeth. Yeah, and so um, he he kind of looks for any sort of uh, knowledge about why this might be happening. Am I supposed to help this person in some way? Is he in danger? Um, are there other people who have this in their teeth? So he, he kind of scans other people's teeth. He looks in his own teeth at his wife's teeth to see if there's, there's that scene where he's like tearing old molds out of their boxes and throwing them behind <laughs> his back because he yeah. can't find te- letters yeah. on 
the, uh, the whole time Jimi Hendrix is machine gun is playing. It's so good. Which fucking rules. <laughs> the use of music in this movie is great. We should it, talk about yeah. that. The edit, it's edited so well because it'll cut to these really cool, you know, these scenes of him like, you know, looking at people's teeth and it's cut to like this really just like grungy <laughs> guitar sound and mm-hmm. it's like feels so, it feels like American Hustle kind of. <laughs> and then it cuts back to Larry just being like, so, so what What does that mean? What happened? And it ultimately ends up with the, this dentist visits the rabbi. The rabbi says, you know, uh, the letters, why they're there, we don't know. Does the man need help? We don't know. But helping people, eh, it couldn't hurt. <laughs> except like the, the mystery. End of the story. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't say that, but that's like the, uh, the the upshot of the story is like, yeah. except the mystery. It doesn't matter why the letters and the teeth got there. Just like, tr- maybe try and be a better person, maybe. Right. And, and like, that, that gets to the, it doesn't help. Larry at all, right? Yeah. Because, like, like the <laughs> thing I was trying to say when I was rambling about, like, how things really are is this movie has, like, a really funny, cynical take on why people seek religion, I mm-hmm. think, which is to, like, it's an out, right? It's a, it's an alleviation of responsibility. Like, Larry isn't really looking for the answers. He's looking for... Um, Solutions. A, a solution that, that isn't his fault. That absolves that, him of, of respons- responsibility. He's looking for indulgences. Yeah. The Catholic in the room should know much about this. Yeah, thank you. He's looking for professional. He's looking for indulgences. Uh, I don't think any faith. I think what the Coens are saying about this, about that topic in this movie, is that no faith is really prepared to do that for anybody. Uh, it's it's like often palliative or comforting, but it's not like a source of truth or knowledge or help or action. Um, but specifically with respect to the Jew or uh, the Jewish faith, because they lived it, because they are Jewish, like it's just. Right, I think that they're they're using Judaism. I think you said at one point to make a a larger message mm-hmm. about um, not necessarily the validity of faith. I I don't think that this movie is is um, critical of the idea of having faith itself. Mm-hmm. I think it's critical of misapplications of faith, um, specifically like those of Larry or Larry's uh, children. Again, all of the characters in this movie are reflections of Larry, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But um, but the idea that that faith looking for faith as a way to absolve yourself of your own responsibility for your life is precipitates the fall right like the twister's on its way (laughs) Uh, again here comes the twister final final lyrics of uh once in a lifetime the talking head song god damn so uh, do we want to get near the end and talk about the climax and ending of this movie? Well, I was going to say, since we talked about the Goy's Teeth, did we want to talk about the first sequence? Oh, yes. Let's talk about the Dibbuk. Um, so the movie opens on uh, like a little shanty town uh, with two characters speaking Yiddish. Is that Velvel and Dora, who I'm seeing here? In Probably. The... We're just looking at the Wikipedia cast list, so if we're wrong, yes. I'll... I won't do anything about it in editing, but I'll that's just make it sound that's like gotta fools. Be it has to be Velvel. It's got to be it. <laughs> But it's the setup is that two characters, like uh, the wife, is at home prepping dinner, uh, very like um, repetitively. There's a better word for it, but like chipping ice in her arm. And the husband comes home and he's like, "You'll never see. Guess who I like met on the street today?" Uh, and he is it Tridel Groshko really? Tridel Groshko, yeah. Um, nice, wow, good memory. Yeah, well, yeah. it's also, it's also on, on the paper. The, it's on the paper that Jason put it out for us. <laughs> Wow, twenty seven <laughs> years smart. later, never learned how to read. Very Beyond weird. The <laughs> um, and she says that's not possible. He's dead. He died like months ago, or no, last night. It's kind of like a scary story to tell in the Peter. dark kind of thing. I want to say he's been he died dead for like three a years. couple years ago. Yeah, uh, he died some was, time ago. It was three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah. Shiva 
foreign. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. It's Shiva. We're sitting, she's sitting here. Shiva for yeah. like in in mourning. Um, and then uh, so Triograshkiver actually shows up to the door, welcomes himself, like makes himself comfortable, the sits very down. We invited this person right. in, right? And and, like it, and the, yeah. his wife explains to him that uh, that's not real. That's a dibuk, which is apparently like a, a spirit it's known a spirit. to inhabit, like take the form of a deceased person. Uh, specifically, uh, I believe dibuks can enter the bodies of people if Shiva is broken. Mm. And so her whole point is that um, at one point during their sitting Shiva. Um, that ceremony was broken. Somebody uh, like abandoned the body, and it was alone for a period of time. And that's when the divic snuck inside of it mm-hmm. um, and repossessed it. Um, so it's it's a it's a punishment for breaking faith, basically. Right. Uh, she ne- does not believe, despite seeing him uh, him with her own eyes. Does not believe. She sees that he. I don't know this, uh, the importance of this, but she sees that half of his face is shaven and the other half isn't. And he r- writes it off to like, I just, I was busy. I was mindless about it. Yeah, because I, I think the person who broke Shiva, like they were, like the person caring for the body, they shaved half the face and then left. Oh, right. The room. That's okay. when they left. Yeah. Okay. I'm forgetting more about this scene than I thought. So you guys should probably be cutting me off quicker. No, you but I'm just going to keep going. Do it. Um, and she's like, right up to the end, doesn't believe him and stabs him through the heart with the ice pick. And he, to kill the Dybbuk. To kill the Dybbuk. And he just gets up, makes his he exit. He kind of laughs it off. Like, yeah. He laughs. Yeah. Like, oh, you got uh, a crazy wife, man. Oh, I see I'm not wanted here. Bye-bye. And in a, gr- in a great turn, like, at first, no blood seeps through the through his shirt for, yeah. like, the first 30 seconds of mm-hmm. the and shot. And Dora, Dora takes that as a sign that he was, in fact, a Dybbuk. Right. And then she points it out, and then he starts bleeding, gets up, leaves, and boom. I don't think he does start bleeding. He, he does. does. He does? He yeah, starts okay. seeping through. I'm wrong. But what do we want to say about that? scene. I just love recounting it because it's such a fun scene yeah. to start the movie on. It's an incredible scene to start the movie on. Yeah. Um, I This this time around, not the first time I saw it, but this time around I saw it as a parallel to the, the Schrodinger's um, yeah. cat yeah. theorem that's set up in this movie. Theorem's a pretentious way to say that, but I'm here. Um, <laughs> uh, Cody wrote down Schro- Schrodinger's Dybbuk, which I like a lot. Um, but like the idea is kind of that they're screwed either way, right? Like, uh, as um, Melville points out, like if he's not a Dybbuk, then they're ruined because somebody's going to find the body the next day. That's her ice pick. They're going to know that they killed... Um, Tridal Groshkiver. Tridal Groshkiver. Um, Tridal Groshkiver. I was the only one who hadn't said it. Or Sorry. he's a Dybbuk and they're cursed. Um, but, yeah. but it's like regardless of input, regardless of action, they're screwed. So like this is it's a fundamentally like a pessimist reading in the in the classical sense that like the worst of all possible worlds is the world <laughs> that like like no no matter what the scenario actually is here the worst outcome is the one that is happening <laughs> to you uh, and uh, I think that that that's the the idea that they have about Schrodinger's cat in this is mm-hmm. like. Uh, um, like Clive and Clive's father threaten uh, Larry with later in the movie. It's like, no matter what your input here, unless you give us what we want, like the worst outcome is going to happen to you. Um, and you know, later in the movie, like uh, the last scene is the twister, right? Is the uh, the twister that's coming for the school, um, and they can't get into the shelter fast enough. Not just the twister, too, right? Like as soon as that grade is changed. Yeah, Larry gets a call the, from it's the literally doc- the second he writes the minus and right. the C minus. Yep. He yeah. changes, gets a phone uh, call from the doctor. Yeah. Right, the movie is bookended with 
um, some cross-cutting between like things that Larry and Danny are doing. Frantic um, editing. Same as the beginning. This yeah, movie is edited exactly. in the beginning and ends very frantically. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the first scenes we see of Larry, he's at the doctor just like getting a physical. And then at the end of the movie, is yeah, as soon as he writes that C- in the grade book next to Clive's name, he, he gets capitulates. A, uh, bring, right. bring, bring. The bride. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. He kind of complies, uh, gives Clive a passing grade. It's a call from the doctor who's just like, hey, I made some time right now, like, you should come over right now and we can talk about these test results. Right. At the Worst beginning of the movie, outcomes. he's getting um, a CT scan uh, and then his doctor calls him and says, you should come in to talk about this. And he's like, can't you tell me over the phone? And he says, I think it would be better if you came in. It's like, damn. Like, yeah. really bad sign. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> not a thing you like to hear. Um, and he, he, it's, it's the first time in the movie... You know, the first time in a movie that he's done something, but the first time in a movie that he's done something that directly affects his own situation, yeah, right? I, like publicly and knowledgeably, and like with with recognition of the situation, changes something. Yeah, gives that passing grade to to Clive, which has been a thing that's been at him since the beginning of the movie, nearly the beginning of the which movie. Which is which is the the thing I was uh, trying to get at, right? Is that like like we can we can um frame this as a moral punishment as he's getting this cancer because of his uh, moral failing just like uh, maybe the Dybbuk visited them or, or the murder happened because of a spiritual failing but the punishment is universal and constant uh, like God's God's punishment seems like it's swift and consistent but only because it's always there regardless of input yeah. like suffering is just the um, firmament of the world, right? Like, it's just something that's happening to you all the time. And then, when you morally fail, uh, it seems as though you're being, like, that it ret- seems retribution though, yeah. is swift. Yeah, um, as though you've earned it. I, I kind of push, yeah, so the, not against what you're saying, but uh, I think there's a common, in discussions of this film, there's a kind of a common discussion that, like, um, Larry Gopnik does not do anything for himself, and, like, if he was a little more like upfront about what he wants, uh, that maybe the results would be a little better for him in his life. And I think the movie is kind of like the movie punishes Larry, but it also punishes Cy Abelman earlier in the movie, right? And Cy is the exact opposite of him. He is more like of an alpha character. He kind of he takes what he wants. He's very aggressive about it in like a very dickish way. Yes, yeah, um, and he, he gets hit by a car and dies like yeah, halfway through this movie. Man, the idea that that this movie would be resolved if Larry was more of a yeah. chat. <laughs> it's like a fucking wild... That's kind take. of like a discussion uh, about oh this movie, God. though, right? That's a dog shit take yeah, on this bad. movie. It's bad. Uh, um. and, and also, like, like morally, politically repugnant, right? Yeah. Like, the, the if, idea... If he that, was red-pilled, he'd be yeah, a little less... Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's gross. Uh, this, this movie's about paying more attention to the people in your life, right? Yeah. Like, uh, what, uh... No, yeah. What's your question? I was gonna say this is like a poignant ending question. So if there's something else oh, you want to no, do, do the uh, poignant. This kind of reminds me a little bit of um, of David Lynch's approach to empathy. Uh, I know that we have mixed feelings, maybe a little bit about David Lynch, but uh, one of the things that really speaks to me about his movies are that um, it seems like all of the characters in his movies, or that he is very aware of the nature of suffering in the world, um, and something I really like is that uh, his movies can be very tender in the idea that like because everyone is suffering so much in ways that you can't even possibly comprehend we should just try to be kind to one another 
Um, and that seems like ultimately where this movie ends up mm-hmm. in a way um, it is the idea that like everyone is a solipsist in the sense that Larry is it seems we can only see Larry so we only know Larry but like everyone is inside their own heads and like getting outside your own head is like the only answer right like it's it's the only out from the endless pain of, of existence <laughs> Um, is just to like share that pain with somebody else and like try to understand it on their terms instead of looking for a way out of it in your own head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a good movie. Should we also mention what happens to his son at the end of the movie? Go. Yeah. Oh, that's me. Oh man. Okay. Uh, so he gets his Walkman back. Uh, Walkman. He gets his uh, his radio back from uh, Rabbi Marshak. And he, the twenty dollars is still in there that he will use to pay the bully for. Bully's been like basically chasing him every second he gets off the school bus. Fagel the bully twenty bucks back. Yeah, yeah. weirdly ironic. And your money, Fagel. Right, the like weirdly ironic. The only times that Danny wants Fagel's attention, um, he is not. I don't know, paying Danny that attention. Otherwise, Fagel is like very consumed. Always by about Danny. to beat yeah. him up. Yeah. yeah, always about to kick his ass. Well, there's that. You'll go on in a sec. Uh, but I'm going to talk right now. Yeah, go ahead. Dang, Cy Abelman over here, alpha move. <laughs> I'm going to talk Chad, now, Aaron. Chad, uh, we... Taking turns is it's a, so important. A wine. A Bordeaux. <laughs> uh, the first time we see Fagel's face is the very, like, nearly the very final shot of the movie, mm-hmm. right? Where this twister is approaching in the background. Uh, it's destroying St. Louis Park, apparently. <laughs> 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 it's wiping St. Louis Park off the map. Uh, R-I-P-S-L-P. Wow. And um, and Danny's trying to get Fagel's, atten- Fagel? Fagel. Fagel's attention. Uh, and he's like, Fagel, Fagel. And he's talking, calling him over the din of this rushing wind. And the bully looks, just turns over back. The it's like the best the shot. Rushing wind? That was beautiful, Jason. <laughs> Thank you. It's a Robert Frost line. Uh, it's not. Let's the not conjure Robert Frost here. Robert Frost sucks. Awesome. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, look at this he, uh, dude. It's like a like a summon attack in like a Final Fantasy <laughs> game. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, and fin- <laughs> yeah, I hate video games too. Fin- <laughs> finally, the bully looks over his shoulder, just like looks very worried, sort of, very mm. concerned beyond his years back at Danny. And the movie cuts to an end. Like before, yeah. he can even pay the bully is twenty bucks. Yeah. For the and so weed. the the teacher the 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 teacher who's like teaching the class that they're in when the storm warning hits is like it it keeps like cut cutting to shots of him like with this gigantic key ring with like a million keys and just like he's not gonna get and that storm again. This uh, is the this is the character who is cellar open. Um, framed as totally incompetent, right? Like the, he was the same guy, I believe, who was. Was it the same guy with the headphones? No, uh, no, it, different. I believe no. different, but guy. it is the same teacher from the beginning. Yeah, the, of the teacher movie. has been trying to. Those are two different. Characters, yeah, he just though, seems yeah. like totally inadequate for the situation. Right. right. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. the world is ending. Right. Like, like there's a there's a twister landing feet away from them. You can see it coming down from the sky, <laughs> um, and it just like it sort of speaks to like the the fundamental inadequacy of our tools to deal with like the totality of suffering in the world yeah. it's like like suffering is the twister and our defenses against it are an old man with a key ring trying to open up a fucking gymnasium <laughs> probably hasn't been opened in and 300 like, years right. yeah. even if you got it open like what is being in that building going to accomplish <laughs> Uh, it makes me think about how this in this building there's like a fire and emergency like natural disaster um, uh, meeting place that's just across the street next to a flower pot. 
Like that's it. Where that's where we're supposed to meet in case of an emergency in this building. Really? Yeah. You're dead, that's, dude. That's if ever a tornado that's hits, you're screwed. Um my final point in question, uh throughout the movie we get the movie's title A Serious Man from a couple of different characters, including Cy Edelman and Larry. Uh, both of whom say that they've tried to be or are a serious man. I think Sai is called a serious man at the like eulogy during okay. his passing. Um, and then Larry says he's tried to be a serious okay. man, whereas Sai was a serious man. So what does it mean to be a serious man in this in the context of this movie, then? Equipped with logic, facts, knowledge. Stop red pilling. Chad-isms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that it's sort of a, it's a joke, right? It's like, like being serious is life is serious and so taking it seriously is the mark of a man um when in fact life is absurd <laughs> right uh, that's kind of the the idea of the punishment that this movie doles out is that like a serious response to this world is absurd um and it that that larry's attempts to be a serious man um i think man probably operates pretty well there too um but uh, are to to always look inward, and that is sort of the source of his suffering. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, that's something that I feel. Now that you're putting it that way, something that I feel comes through in a lot of the Coen Brothers movies. Yes, that they like. There's a stalwart perspective on the world. The world is absurd and cannot be predicted and cannot be like wrangled. And yet, there are characters who each try to in their own way. Right. right. I mean, like, like that's that's the thing that motif I was talking about with like the way things really are is that like. The, to reframe the, the world as absurd as it is, it recasts the notion of these people being serious or acting this way as ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like in another movie, Larry is not a pathetic individual. He is just a man. In this movie, his responses to a ridiculous world make him ridiculous. Like, like us trying to act like we know anything or are anything in a world like this are ridiculous. Um, that's kind of Miller's Crossing. Um, it's kind of Fargo, it's like a lot of their movies. So, A Serious anyway. Man itself is a farce. Yeah, it's a folly. Okay. Yeah. Is that our final word? Um, shout out to Michael Lerner, who has a great cameo as Saul uh, Solomon Schultz. The guy I'm forgetting. Uh, so, the, um, the thing with the the Nazi neighbors encroaching upon the Gobnik's uh-huh. kind of yard boundaries. Um, Solomon is the guy who's going to like provide them him like leverage to oh. like kind of set that straight. He's just like, Oh, Larry's really got a case here. Uh, you know, I'll send my guy Solomon on it. And, uh, he comes in and he's, as he's about to like dispense knowledge, he has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> oh, it's such a good scene. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, do we have any other, like, I have a few things that I wrote down, just like little shout outs that were so good. Yeah, please. Uh, that's it. Shout out. Uh, um, Richard kind. When he's at the, there, there's a scene where the, uh, Larry is like hanging out with like a, a female friend of his who he's like kind of explaining his problems to. And in the it's background, his sister. Uh, oh, okay. It's a sister. Um, <laughs> in the background, uh, his, his, uh, Arthur is, is kind of just playing, uh, with like basically just like a bunch of kids is like kind of flopping around at the beach. Um, and then he, he steps out of the water and he walks over and he, uh, he says, uh, I'm telling you, if someone could bottle this air, they'd make a million dollars. Yeah. And then and it's the scene like, ends. Just the perfect, like, Midwestern, just like your weird uncle, just like saying some <laughs> shit. Uh, I love Arthur so much. Yeah. yeah he's great. He's so heartbreaking. It's tragic. Yeah. That's that great um, shot I was talking about where it's like he walks into the camera and the camera's just looking up at him like he's a 
prophet from the heavens. I, I also brilliant. think his character is like the perfect portrayal of someone, uh, just like a relative needing to stay in someone's house that is not their own. Uh, there's a scene where they go to like sit down to eat dinner, and like it's like a normal sized table, and there's ch- four chairs on each you know side of the table, and there's just like this other chair just like weirdly put off to the side, and it just like doesn't fit on the side of the table that it's on. And it's like yeah, like this dude just kind of like yeah. lives in their house and shouldn't be there, but needs to. Um, it's depressing. Do you have other shout-outs? Uh, I don't think I, so. You go. We should, we should maybe... I don't know if I want to end on this note, but uh, don't make Asian accents a fucking punchline. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. that That's sucks. the entirety yeah. of Clive's character, uh, Maybe right? don't even cast Japanese actors as Korean. Which is rough. Um, also the background here is that Mike, like, uh, the character who plays Steve Park, Clive's father, or rather, Clive's father, who doesn't have a name, I guess, in this movie, is Steve Park, who played Mike Yanagida in Fargo. Uh, and he is a Japanese actor who is being... Cast as a Japanese character in that first movie, and now uh, as a... no problem with Steve Park. We should yeah, say, no, no, no. right, like, mm-hmm. like take take roles, uh, and he's a good actor. Uh, Coen Brothers offered me a role; I would take it yeah. too. So, um, yeah. I, like specifically, I have a problem with the Coen Brothers using yeah. Asian Americans as a punchline. Um, Arthur is also um, eventually arrested for, uh, in the movie's words, sodomy. Um, it's implied, I think, that he's homosexual. Um, and, uh, the Coens also have a history of, of using gay as a shorthand for sort of like an outcast or someone who can't fit in with society or someone who is like othered in really upsetting ways. Um, Spoiler alert, it happens in Barton Fink too. It happens mm-hmm. in Barton Fink. It happens in, um, the man who it wasn't, wasn't there. there. Yep. Uh, and it sucks. Yep. Um, like it's. It's frustrating because, like, it's it's kind of poignant in this movie, right? Like, I think at one point Arthur says, like, I I propositioned this person at the North Dakota uh, because I just want somebody to touch me. Uh, and his brother, like, still can't relate to him. So it's, like, extremely sad, but it's also othering on the basis of hom- homosexuality, which mm-hmm. sucks. Um, those are huge problems with this movie and with the Coen brothers broadly. Um, this movie's probably also not great about women, Um it's it's a solipsistic movie from Larry's perspective. Uh, I don't know if that's an excuse or if I'm just a shitty white dude. But that's why not uh, both? Yeah, <laughs> Steve Park was also. We know the uh, answer. It's also Sunny and Do the Right Thing, which is a, another problematic uh, portrayal of uh, mm. an Asian character. But also maybe my favorite movie. So hey, this guy's got a filmography. What's your favorite movie? Do the Right Thing, probably. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's not, it's a great not a bad oh, I thought you were doing that sarcastic. Okay. Oh, no. I've said that no. before, so I thought you were doing like a Is Jason Homeschooled bit. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I was homeschooled? You're homeschooled? What? Thank you for In listening Indiana? to Try Love. <laughs> I'm Jason. I'm Cody. I'm Mary. I'm Aaron. Check us out next time, and before then, check us out at Try Love Podcast on Twitter. At Try Love Podcast. On Twitter. Beyond but- a minute! <laughs>